You're now locked into Zone 32. Max Mikado, Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NCI Properties. And ladies and gentlemen, it's episode three of the Zone 32 podcast presented to you by NeutralZoneInfraction.com. Follow us on Twitter at NCI Properties. Max, Grant, and Jake back at it again with more, this time covering week seven of the NFL season. Now, we've got a lot of news to cover in Ravens Flock. You're going to really enjoy the first half of this episode because we've got plenty that will appeal to you because we've had a huge breaking news day for the Ravens. Uh, The biggest story, of course, we have potentially two brand new members of the purple and black pending a physical and negative COVID test during this bye week. Now, Jake, this one's going to be near and dear to your heart, but let me frame the scenario. Breaking news, biggest of the day, defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, formerly of the Jacksonville Jaguars and then the Miami, or excuse me, Minnesota Vikings, has been traded to the Baltimore Ravens in exchange for the Ravens' 2021 third-round pick and conditional 2022 fifth-round pick. More fifth-round magic for general manager Eric DaCosta. Now, Jake, I wanted to start with you because this is a big one. Talk to me about the impact of this trade and what this means for the Ravens moving forward. Oh, man, this is a big one. Let's go, baby. They've been needing a dominant edge rusher to come off the edge. And while he's not quite at that point just yet, he does have a double-digit sack season under his belt while he was in Jacksonville with Calais Campbell. That's a big-time move, though, especially for someone who can get after the quarterback. You have two premier stage setters in Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf. They'll work the stunts. He'll loop around. He'll get after whoever's in front of him. He's he is a hell of a player, and I'm excited as all hell. This is a move to me that tells me they want to get after. They want to play more with Patrick Mahomes, especially when if or when they do see them again later this year in the playoffs. Is what I'm saying, of course, but of course. But what was it? Um, it'll be one of those things. You'll have Wink sending people to the line, maybe six or seven, look like he's sending an all-out rush. Mahomes checks into who some crossers to get rid of the ball quick, and all of a sudden you bluff. You drop three, you send four. That way you can have that scheme versatility, not to mention all the red rushers, you, all the rushers you can have on the field at the same time. You kick McPhee inside and have Calais Campbell on the other on the other side of the interior with him. You do the same with Derek Wolf. Tyus Bowser's got that versatility to drop off from the coverage. Doggon Judon is a complimentary rusher. That's that is what he is. But even that being said, that front is about to be real nice. The back end's gonna be helped. Because he's so far this season, he has five sacks and three quarterback knockdowns. Three of those have come in coverage sacks, and the other two came against the bottom of the barrel teams. This is what the Twitter handle Brandon Thorne on Twitter was talking of, and I watched some of his videos. He had one from 2018, and the Jags like to use this a lot. They would line up Calais Campbell on the blind blind side, but he'd line up – as the as the right end next to Ngakwe, who would be rushing from the blind side, they would use Campbell to eat up two blockers so Ngakwe could come up and get the hit. At the time, that was against the Patriots and Tom Brady back in 2018. Expect a whole hell of a lot more of that. And he could wind up, he is double-digit sack potential. He is a freaky get-off from an edge, like as an edge rusher. I'm hyped. He likes to do this ripping club move to get around the corner. 
He's a hell of a baller. Let's go, baby. No, Grant, I know you're salivating at the thought of the reunion of the starting defensive ends from the Jaguars in the AFC Championship game from that 2018 season. Talk to me about how you're feeling about this trade. Yep, 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 yep. Man, what a move, dude. Like, like seriously, this is one of those cats that, like, earlier in the offseason, you know, we were obvi- he was, we were the destination. This is where it was going to go down. We just couldn't afford him. And I guess that's what happens when you produce your own talent. You have to pay your own talent. But, you know, it, it, it just fits, man. You look at his mentality. He's a local guy for Bowie. You know, he went to UMD. You know, he's a turp. You know, he just he, – he has that, like, aggression to him. You watch him play, and he's relentless. Um, you, I just added another guy to the Ravens' defense that likes, to, that likes to have strip sacks. Oh, awesome. Another guy that can create fumbles. Okay. We already got four on the top ten list, like Chib shared earlier. Like, you know what I mean? Like, these are things that, like, that don't go – that go unnoticed. And not only did, is he going to make the Ravens' defense that much better, those coverage sacks, those picks, those turnovers are going to come by millions – also, speaking of millions, he just is about to make Judon a heavily paid man because that's going to free up double teams and ISOs on Judon to where he's going to eat too. You got to pick your poison. So Judon might owe him a Rolex for Christmas or something. I see all these Rolex talks because he's going to—he just got him paid. Actually, I should say EDC just got him paid. But I mean, Yannick is, is a is a unique talent. Um, the it's what a smart move edc with these fifth rounders man like what (laughs) just give him a bunch of uh, fifth rounders for christmas that's what i'm gonna do just put them right under his tree put some in his stocking like just a bunch of fifth rounders we're gonna have a a super bowl contender but you look at it and you're like man you know yannick wasn't gonna finish out with minnesota he was didn't sign an extension there so he was a free agent at the end of the season so are they gonna let him walk are they gonna get something for him everybody jokes about the fifth rounders but you know they at least they got something you know the they got something out of and the Ravens also got him on a miniature deal. And when a miniature deal, I mean by as that, you know, being paid week to week coming off of your salary cap hit, you know, that's a smaller hit that the Ravens are going to have to take. And, you know, depending on how this Earl Thomas grievance comes out and everything, um, you know, I mean, this is, this is a move. This is a move going from a, yeah, we were quote unquote Super Bowl contenders, but we're legit contenders now. And, you know, barring any injuries, things like that, up and down, I mean, no bias whatsoever. Call it for what you want. But top to bottom, defensively for starters for Baltimore Ravens, in my lifetime I have not seen a defense so loaded with Pro Bowl talent and one defense. I mean, you look at the the front line. I mean, your lineup is you got Ngakwe, Judon, Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, Calais Campbell. Boom, let's hit to the backside. Your reserves are Tyus Bowser, Pernell McPhee. You know, you kick it back a little bit. You got Jalen Ferguson, who is a third rounder, and now he's your he's your third rotation guy in on speed rushes. Boom, has hit the second level. You got the young cats. Queen's balling out at a Pro Bowl level right now and a potential defensive rookie of the year. LJ4 is a formidable, you know, strong side linebacker that's able to make plays, and he's aggressive. Then you got Malik Harrison waiting in the wings. Then you look at the secondary. I mean, do we really need to talk about the secondary? I mean, the way Deshaun Elliott's playing right now with those corners, this is a defense that that you can tell that the Kansas City game pissed that front office off because look what happened last year when the Titans pissed that front office off. Here comes the run game stoppers. Here comes all this. Guess what? Now we're adding pressure to the quarterback, and now we're going to add another piece coming soon. <laughs> now, I'm glad you mentioned that uh... – 
defense being loaded and how we haven't seen a lineup like this, this formidable in quite some time, at least in your lifetime, but to uh, enlighten some of our younger Ravens fans who might have jumped on at the tail end of the Flacco years and the beginning of Lamar Jackson's time. The last time that I recall seeing a defense this loaded on the Ravens was the 2006 team that had the then franchise best 13-3 and record um, on defense, just to name Rest in peace, Eric McNair. Yes, indeed. Steve McNair bringing us an offense for the first time in Ravens history, at least a passing game. But looking at that defensive lineup in 06, you had Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs. We're not even getting into the very beginning of Haloti Nada's career. You had Chris McAllister and Samari Roll on the outside. You had Trevor Price on the edge, who all of a sudden had a resurgent season doing what he did back in Denver when he won Super Bowls with them. I mean, we're not even talking about quality utility guys like Kelly Gregg, Jarrett Johnson, Bart Scott. I mean, yep. and was Bart Corey Scott, Redding there then too? Corey Redding was not there yet. That was not until that was, 2010. That was, that was 10, okay. But the, the to mention Bart Scott, that was before he had made the Pro Bowl. So this was before he became the superstar that he was later recognized as when he went to the Jets briefly. So – Again, this this is an entirely different look here because you've got a lot more young up-and-comers in this unit than you did in 06. And for it to be that dangerous, and this isn't even the number one ranked defense yet, but how dominant they've been, though, against some quality offenses. I mean, this is shaping up to be a very, very optimistic for us, scary for everyone else prospect uh, moving forward. Now, Grant... Stay with me here. You're going to want to take a sip of water. You want to get your throat muscles relaxed because this next bit of news uh, was one of probably your highlight, even over in Gakwe in a way. Uh, your boy, Des Bryant, who's been out of football since the end of 2017, will sign with the Baltimore Ravens to their practice squad pending a physical and his second workout and a negative COVID test. And it's looking very likely that he will be adding depth to a wide receiver core that has been much maligned this season. Now, Grant, I'm going to let you take it away. Talk to me about this potential move here. Bro, Dez is coming. <laughs> no, this is the thing, though. Like, all jokes aside, like, I've, you know, I've been a fan of Dez since he was in college. And the thing is with that dude is he should have been a Raven from the jump. We got screwed because the Patriots, a bunch of jerk-offs, decided to trade with the Cowboys one spot in front of us because they knew we were taking Dez because, mm-hmm. yeah, we know how that story went. But, you know, this is a dude that's just a gamer. I mean, he would, you know, in his earlier years, everybody knows how he was, um, you know, the immaturity, the things on the side. This is not the same Des Bryant. I actively and avidly follow him on Twitter all the time and look at everything that, you know, interact with him sometimes. I mean, he don't interact back, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's just like the dude is hungry. So not only is he hungry, he's now humble. And the most dangerous thing that you can get with a player with an aggressive mentality is humble them with hunger. And he has been out of that game. Um, he had an injury derail him. He's had plenty of time to come back from that. I don't know if you've been watching his um, his Twitter videos or where he's going doing one-on-ones with DBs on fields and stuff. He, he's His routes look crisp. He's making snags, one-handed, doesn't matter. Yeah, there's not a defense really on him. He's not in contact or whatever. But people act like he's, you know, 37, 38 years old. He's 31. And he's – 
at the point now where we have such a young locker room and being in that offensive lo- that offensive meeting room with you know Lamar and you know now with Mark Ingram, which I think those two are going to be like elite leaders in the offensive locker room because of their mentalities and the way they kind of you know people follow. And I think he's going to be such a valuable asset to our young receiving core, not only on the field, but off the field. He's going to show them that work ethic. He's going to show them everything he did wrong and everything that he would have changed. I mean, he was at the top of the game, in my opinion, during his time there for a few years in Dallas. I mean, I thought he was all around the number one receiver in the league. You see his highlight catches, his long runs, his moss and movements. And by the way, it was a catch in Green Bay, and it's disgusting <laughs> that it's not considered a catch and embarrassing. And all that's going to take me back to is the fact that the Chiefs, the Seahawks, the freaking Packers, they all get every single break and call that goes their way that could end and change a game. But that's beside the point. Let me get back on track with Mr. Des here. But <laughs> he's he's going to be that guy in the locker room these players can kind of gravitate to. And he's going to kind of show them the way, essentially. And I think it's going to be just as good for him as it is going to be for the younger receivers in that receiving core. Um, not to mention that you know, your average football fan doesn't really know, but his outside blocking is insane. As a wide receiver, when you get on the edge and you're a running team, you got a big physical receiver that's going to pancake somebody. That dude's, that dude's run blocking is off the chain, and he takes pride in it. And you don't see that out of diva receivers and stuff like that. And he only got called a diva receiver because of – the antics with like being frustrated on the sidelines. Listen, man, you could have put a video camera on me in high school and college. And I'm, I was not the one that handled things very well. So like at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it, you know, it take that with a grain of salt. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. He's on the practice squad right now, but I think that's just a holdover. So they find out what type of roster move they want to make or who to demote, who to, you know, release, whatever it may be. This is just a configuration time because we have a bye week coming up. So there's no hurry. Um, But I have a good feeling about it. I think he's in good spirits. The fact that we're bringing him in a second time um, with all these other trade opportunities around, you know, the AB talks are there to bring a guy in a second time, that's like, hey, bro, run a route real kick. Oh, cool, you caught it. Welcome to the team. You know, um, but, you know, I'm excited. I think Lamar should be excited. I think the receiving room should be excited. Um, and I think that we got a valuable asset that we're going to see show up in the playoffs. Now, before I get to you, Jake, I want to point out, I'm glad you mentioned the whole diva behavior thing. I think part of that was enabled by Jerry Jones because in Jerry world, you can do whatever the hell you want. Um, but it's not the 90s. It's not Aikman. Irvin and Smith it's it's not that and I think Jerry is so desperately trying to capture you know the glory days again that he will allow just about anything behaviorally but you know you talk about divas you can accept diva behavior to a certain extent I mean look at Marcus Peters he is a lot of Chiefs fans um, and I believe yeah Rams fans they they kind of they hated him towards the end of his run there because of his attitude and they tried to dismiss it. But honestly, no one cares what your attitude is as long as you are winning and you're playing well, winning cures everything. He's a competitor. Exactly. He's a competitor. And the thing with Jerry Jones, like you said, is, you know, he's so used to having guys snort Coke off of Gatorade bottles (laughs) that like, you know, he doesn't, you know, it's just that, that, that whole thing's just a mess down there. Now, um, Jake, going back to you, I want you to try to take us 
back down to earth if you have to. But looking at this smooth, I know in any other year this would seem strange to put Des Bryant on the practice squad rather than the active roster. However, COVID's made things different. So take us back down to earth, Jake, if you have to, or hype us up if you want. What do you think this move represents for the Ravens receiving core? It's a low-risk, high-reward move for a guy who's been out of football for three years and badly wants back in and to win games. To me, if it doesn't work out, you can cut your losses, no harm, no foul. If it works out, you have someone who can go, who can catch the 50-50 balls. You have another red zone target to take away some attention from Mark Andrews. You have a potential mentor for someone like Miles Boykin because the man badly needs one. Like Des Bryant, in his heyday, was a hell of a player. Towards the end of his career, he started losing that speed and athleticism and didn't have the savvy route running that would have saved him early in the career. That being said, I've seen some of his workout videos. He just, he's been running more digs, running more post routes. He's been running more than just the streak, the slant, and the in route, the five yard, little five-yard curl. So, I mean, he's expanded the route tree just by working on his own. And that's something he wanted to do. That's, that's a big reason why he turned down the three-year deal that the Ravens offered him back in 2018. So this was, this was a move in the making. I like it. I'm perfectly fine with it. And he might not be the Pro Bowl Des Bryant, but I don't think we need him to be. Personally, what we need is another red zone target for Lamar. That way, when they get down to it, the passing game doesn't stall, and they can't hone in on Hollywood and Mark Andrews. You have another target to go to. I agree, and I'm glad you said that Lamar needs another red zone target because we're going to segue to this next point. Now, Twitter being the official word on all things, not really, uh, has been rumbling and speculating about whether or not there's another move that Eric DaCosta is going to make during this bye week. Now, if I am a betting man, which I am not, because if I were, I'd be eating us out of house and home. But uh, do we think that there is going to be a third move, guys? And more importantly, why is it going to be wide receiver offensive lineman? Grant, let me start with you. Uh, I mean, you can really go either way, to be honest with you. Depending on this whole, this whole Des thing kind of throws me for a loop on the wide receiver deal. Um, but I'm still holding out that, I mean, the t- my, my two number ones right now are Michael Gallup and Mike Williams. Those two just fit exactly what we need right now and are kind of in the same structure as a receiver as uh, Des Bryant. You know, that big physical guy is going to make those contested catches, good body control, those types of things. And um, – my other one, you know, not necessarily maybe offensive line because, I mean, offensive line is, is such a tricky thing because it takes, it takes time to gel. And we've had a carousel across the, the left guard center and right guard positions all season. Last year, I mean, it took five to six weeks to even, um, you know, really get that offensive line gel, and, and, and that's when we really took off. Um, but, you know, I think it's a lot of things. I don't think it's just on the line as, as suspect as that interior offensive line has been. I think it's a lot of, uh, you know, predictable play calling. I think it's a lot of just execution stuff, just, you know, things that just need to be tightened up. Um, but this, this one's for chips because I've been on it myself. Um, <laughs> uh, but Desmond King is one that I want to, another, another option that I would love to see come in that, that dude as a nickel, Lord have mercy. You want to talk about somebody that could change the defense even more uh, with Tavon Young's industry or in- industry. Holy hell. Injury. 
Um, you know, that's somebody that could really, you know, like be a huge part. And then my third wild card, which it would never happen because it's inner division, but give me David and Joku. You want to talk about a tight end that would fit this offense and give problems and double, double tight end sets with Mark Andrews? Who are you going to cover on the inside? No linebacker in the NFL or safety could cover both of those tight ends and those double sets. So, you know, those are my three, my, my, my wishful thinkings. Well, I guess 1A, 1B, then 2 and 3. So, you know, Gallup, Mike Williams, Desmond King, um, and David Njoku. No, Joku, that's an interesting name, interesting pick, because, you know, now that I think about it, you've sold me on the idea, because as deceptively um, good as a receiver as Nick Boyle can be, and as good as Mark Andrews is when he doesn't have a case of the yips, um, a three tight end set, even with Ricard as the H-back, a, a traditional three tight end set really does fit more with what the Ravens were doing last season. And I would like to see a return to that just for the unpredictability. Now, Jake, moving on to you, what do you think this possible third move is going to be? And no, it doesn't have to be receiver or, or O-line. I'm just, that's wishful thinking on my end. But what, do you, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean... You guys hit those points already. I don't see teams willing to give up quality offensive line. We have a deficiency of talent in the NFL as far as pass blocking left tackles and right tackles go. That's why they get paid as much as they do now. Because before, right, like right now with quarterbacks, we might have QB saturation where you can get someone decent to come in and play for a few games where you can get by just fine. They might not be a franchise guy, but they're still good. It's definitely better compared to what it used to be. We have a deficiency of talent with tackle now, and that's why we're going to see Ronnie Stanley break the bank eventually, whether it's in Baltimore, whether it's with somebody else. He's going to get paid, and that's, mm-hmm. that's just the reality of the situation. But as far as who I would want, I didn't know Marvin Jones was 6'2". I'm not going to lie. I thought he was like 5'10", 5'11". I learned otherwise. I would definitely be down for someone like him. Even though Dez fits that role – that's a younger that's a younger dude who can basically play a, a the same role. 50-50 balls down the field, take a deep shot, make safeties, make defenses play you honest, get a get the DB out the box to establish the run game more. That would be a fine fit. Mike Williams would be great. Desmond King I wanted back in 2017. Yeah, uh, dude, he was a he was a beast coming out of Iowa. Him and Trey White were kind of my hopes. I'm not going to lie. You're welcome, Jibs. But even that being said, I wanted him before they signed Tony Jefferson. As soon as they signed Tony Jefferson, I thought, no, they're not going to target him just because I thought of him as a free safety and playing interchangeably with Eric Weddle at the time. But that wasn't the case. Let's make it the case today. Why the hell not? That would make an if that would make this secondary, who is already the best in the league, that much more formidable with an elite nickel corner to erase – Anyone who comes inside, even though Marlon's playing fantastic when he has to cover someone inside, you're getting a scheme versatile player who could line up anywhere in here in the back end, whether it's outside, whether it's inside, whether it's a safety. Like Desmond King would be a wonderful fit. I thought about Zach Gertz before he got hurt. I don't know how the numbers would look, but at the same time, salary cap's a myth, man. Look, look at what the Rams have been doing. Look at what <laughs> the Chiefs did this offseason. I go pay someone half a billion dollars and, oh, Chris Jones has to get paid. Yeah, sure, why not? Here's $20 million a year. Why not? I can figure it out. Go ahead and just – I got some offshore bank accounts. Bring that shit over. Here you go. 
Got you, bro. It's good. <laughs> so I just had something pop up on my phone about Bleacher Report, and it was saying how Kevin Zeitler might be on the block for the Giants. That might be a veteran offensive guard person that could be, uh, you know, have some offers on too. Just want to throw Absolutely. that in while we're on it. That's that's AFC North familiarity right there. Two-time, a two-time. <laughs> how are you going to end up on the trade block while your team's playing as we're recording this? What the hell, man? Yeah, I, just saw, I just saw a notification pop up and it said Golden Tate and him. What's on Bleacher Report? Golden Tate and Zeitler were on the trading block, and I was like, damn, that fits what we're talking about right now. Yeah, Hold up. That's almost the opposite of, like, how you can get fired on your day off. Like, holy crap. But, no, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it is Dave Gettleman. What, what, what do you expect, man? You're right. You want, talk you're right. About a, you want to talk about a primetime job interview? Here you go. This is, this is true. Now, um, so we, we, we kind of – this is over at the halfway point now, at least in talking Ravens stuff, and I would love to go all show long with this. Um, so I guess it was, it was interesting, Jake, that you mentioned offensive line being at a deficiency right now because we, this is probably a topic we'll hit on in a future episode, especially in the postseason, um, talking about the decline in offensive line play and how that is correlated, I believe, in the lack of offseason contact these days as allowed by the NFLPA because um, you can't really learn how to block if you're not touching anyone. But, you know, I, I digress. We'll, we'll talk about that in the offseason. We do have to keep things moving, though, so I apologize. That's the first ever interruption I think I've ever had to do on this show, guys. Wow. Hootie hoo, hot money, money. Holy crap. This is uh, that we made history in episode three already. Now, we do have to get in some games for this weekend. So coming up this Sunday, um, got quite a few that I was surprised had storylines because, honestly, it's when there's no Ravens game on, I, during that bye week, I just completely zone out, and I, I hate to say it. Oh, it's almost like I don't care who plays. I'm like, they can all lose. They can all tie, whatever. Um, but a marquee matchup from this Sunday that I wouldn't consider a marquee matchup until I look closer. Uh, I didn't realize this, guys, until we were prepping for the show. We have a battle of unbeatens. The last two in the AFC, the Steelers and the Titans, will square off on Sunday. Um I mean, I hate to say it. I hope they both lose, but Grant, let's get into this game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, you know, it, this is going to be a good matchup. Uh, you know, you look at both teams, uh, same kind of mentality, you know, both physical. Um, they're going to try to control the line of scrimmage on you, uh, hopefully to hold the game of control defensively. Um, I completely ate crow last week on the Steelers. Yeah, you um, did. But at the same time, you know, I'm going against them again um, just because not not for obvious reasons, but something that the Titans have going more than what I think the Steelers and a lot of other teams right now is that they believe in each other and they believe in themselves as a team. And they kind of feel like it's them versus the world right now for the whole COVID stuff, which makes no sense because it's like, dude, you're the fuck, you're the idiots that just completely got caught on camera not following rules but that's beside the point but the way that they control I mean with Devin Bush out Derrick Henry should have a field day and you know you you got these receivers coming in getting healthy Um, the Luan Taylor Luan thing makes me nervous Um, and we spoke on that a little bit earlier kind of looking at you know what's a worse Devin Bush versus Taylor Luan I think that personally um, you know offensive line is super important one of my favorite things in the 
on a football field or anybody in the trenches, defensive line or offensive line, because that's who wins football games. But what Devin Bush means to that defense in the middle of that defense with what the Titans do offensively, I think that's a bigger loss than LaJuan being out because you can rotate some linemen in and you can come up with schemes on the offensive line side to kind of neutralize certain pass rushers and things like that. You know, you've got a running back like Derrick Henry that's built like a brick shit house, And, you know, you, if you need a chip, you got a chip. And, you know, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you got Roethlisberger. I don't think he's a shadow of what he used to be. Um, they live in the moment, but they aren't really a spark for much. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of what Pittsburgh really is this weekend. Um, and I think it's going to be a really good game, though. I mean, I could be wrong. I could easily see Pittsburgh running away with this game, too. I mean, they're that team that once they get in control, they stay in control, and that's kind of one of the things with Baltimore that frustrates me sometimes personally is that we don't keep that foot on the throat mentality. You can tell conservativeness comes in, and it's like, dude, we're not trying to make friends. You get up 17 nothing, 20 nothing, 32 to 3 whatever, there is no reason – People should be having stupid penalties and stuff like that, letting, you know, missed tackles, those types of things. You know, the types of defenses that are called, you know, don't stop blitzing. If, if blitzing works, bring the house. Like, the, like the, the whole mentality of, you know, we don't want to embarrass people. That's a whole, you know, participation trophy mentality. And I'm all for don't take your starters out unless, you know, it's like fourth quarter. You're not trying to have any injuries or anything. But blow the doors off of somebody. Make a statement. Because that hurts the will and the drive of a team. And the next time they play you, they're either going to have motivation or they're going to know exactly who smacked them in the mouth. And you know what? Bring that motivation. And I just think that, you know, this is going to be an awesome game. Uh, probably one of my favorite games to watch this weekend. Uh, but I am going to take the Titans, but I'm going to take it in a tight one. Uh, <laughs> get it? 27-24. Uh, now, it's funny you mentioned the whole victim mentality of the Titans because, uh, funny enough, Mike Vrabel, being a New England disciple, Bill Belichick's student, uh, they the Patriots, they have made a career out of treating themselves as the underdogs when they've been the ones on top. You know, it's uh, it, it is kind of like um, to make a wrestling reference when CM Punk called out John Cena and said, you are not the underdog. You are not the Boston Red Sox. You have become what you hate. You are the New York Yankees. I mean, that's kind of what it is, or at least what Vrabel's trying to do with the Titans that they had done in New England all those years. It's just this bulletin board uh, material that's meaningless because at the end of the day, you are what your record is. And as much as I think the Titans aren't as good as they are, they are still undefeated. Same with the Steelers. So I can't take anything away from them, even though I can talk all that crap all I want because I'm the one sitting behind the microphone. Now, the other person sitting behind the microphone here, Jake, talk to me about this game. With this battle of unbeatens, what are you looking for and who do you have winning this game? Well, to, for, to add to that point about the Titans, they're a far cry away from being the Tennessee Titans, as they were commonly referred to on the, around the NFL <laughs> podcast by one man, Hansis. They're a team without, identi- without an identity who couldn't figure themselves out, who couldn't win, win with Marcus Mariota, and then they bring in Ryan Tannehill to stabilize the offense. That being said, you lose your starting left tackle against the team who leads the league in sacks with Bud Dupree coming off the edge. With his kind of quickness, he's transitioned into a very good player rushing from the blind side. So all things considered, the Devin Bush injury hurts bad, 
but I'm rolling with the uh, the Steelers. I'm picking the Steelers to win this game. I the Titans' favorite play to run as far with the running game is the outside zone. They ran that to death against the Ravens because the outside backer opposite Judon could not set the edge in the run game. We saw that last year against the Niners. Saw that against the Browns. Then we wound up seeing that to devastating fashion against the Titans. This week, you have two very good outside linebackers who can set the edge in the run game and can stop the zone stretch. So when you're getting used to five-yard carries on first down, you're getting the second and five. I don't think that'll be the case even with the def- with losing Bush in the in the linebacker core. You're th- regardless, Vince Williams is a thumper. He'll come up and hit you at least. He might not be able to cover John New Smith, but most likely Terrell Edmonds will see him. They might struggle covering Berkser, but that's honestly about it. I got the Steelers winning this game 23 to, I'll say 23-13. No, we also have breaking news as well. Max McCullough just canceled Jake Miller's hot take house. So, uh, Jake, ah. best, best wishes, best oh, don't of luck worry, endeavors. Don't worry. The Steelers are going to lose this, lose this season. That that's much I can tell you. They ain't winning this season. I just I I I I going undefeated this season. Don't worry about that. I will not pretend to be objective because I'm pretty sure I will pick against the Steelers every single week. So apologies to our Steelers listeners. Um, no apologies. They 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 know what they are. I'm just I'm just keeping it real and it's the reality of the situation. You're a dirtbag piece of crap, <laughs> but your team's pretty damn good. I will give them their due. I want the Titans to win. I'll tell you that, even though I don't like rooting for the Titans either because there's some dirtbag pieces of crap in their own right. But <laughs> all things considered. You know, I'm going to be ballsy here since we're not even keeping track. I'm just going to declare this one a tie. I think they both lose equally and win equally, and uh, that will be the end of that chapter. And hopefully we never have to talk about these two teams for the rest of the season, but we probably will. So actually we will next week because we're going to have to talk about the Ravens-Steelers game after the fact. So... The, the only point I'm going to make about this game, really, is for rooting interest, we kind of want the Titans to beat the Steelers because as nice as it would be for our Ravens to be the first team to knock off the unbeaten Steelers, at the same time, uh, for divisional rankings and all that good stuff, you want as much of an advantage as possible. If the Ravens beat the Steelers, that gives them their second loss of the season. Ravens being a one-loss team by default would be top of the division, even if their record is tied with the Browns. So I'm just saying, let's root for the Titans this weekend. God, I feel dirty. Um, (laughs) You grease ball. I have a better one for you. Ah. Let's root for Kim Jong-un to drop a bomb over the stadium so both teams are gone. Look, Ah. It's it's all love. It is it is a friendly rivalry, but at the same time, my blood boils whenever I see the black and yellow and those terrible towels waving. So I just it's automatic. It just it's it's a reflex. It just gets triggered. I could go on all night, but let's not. We still got more show to go. So for me, uh, it's a respect hate. For me, it's a respect hate. The Patriots are a hate hate. So. Yeah. And, uh, the Steelers are a hate hate. That is what it is. And I, and I think I think this is good, I don't care as much about. See, this is a good topic for us to dive into next week when we're previewing the Ravens Steelers game because I think this we could probably devote almost an entire episode to that game and how we might do that if it's that big of a game for us. Um, but I think just just as a therapy session slash an entertaining listen, I think that's going to be for next week. So bottle up those thoughts. We're going to come back to that topic next week. 
in the meantime, uh, next game up on the slate. Now, Jake, you brought this one up. This is what we're going to call the Gruden Revenge Game. John Gruden returns with the new Las Vegas Raiders to face his old team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It'll be his first game against the Bucs since leading them to the Super Bowl in the 2002 season. Grant, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on this game? Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's kind of cool, the whole Gruden thing coming back full circle. Now, you know, what's going to happen in the game? I have no idea uh, the which teams are going to show up. I mean, is the, is the, are the Buccaneers going to show up that came to the Packers or, you know, who's going to show up um, Raiders also beat the chiefs. So obviously they can be anybody in the NFL with that factor. Um, I like the underdog in this one. Um, there's something about the Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders and I don't know what it is. It, I don't know if it's degraded, but the, it's like, it's like they're having fun. And when a team's having fun and they don't really have severe expectations or a lot of pressure on them from the media, the fans, like whoever, um, that's a dangerous team. And, you know, they're in a tough division, so they have tough matchups week in and week out. So it's not like, you know, the Buccaneers who, you know, I mean, not saying that, you know, NFC South is a cupcake division or anything, but, you know, theoretically, you know, they're traveling. Um, you know, the Raiders have a lot of confidence right now. They're only really one game back because of, you know, the bye or whatever. But um, I, 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 there's a lot of questions still for me with the Buccaneers. You know, everybody's on the Tom Brady train all over his nuts saying, you know, before the season, it drove me nuts, pun intended, that, um, you know, they were looking at them as a Super Bowl contender. Like, the guy, and I'll beat this in the ground, and I don't care what anybody says, he's a Hall of Famer, he's a great quarterback, but he's a system quarterback. Bill Belichick made Tom Brady, and I don't care who wants to argue it, but it's facts. I mean, look at any game that Tom Brady was out, and the Patriots either won or were in competition to win the game with no matter who they put under center. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep one time and woke up, and I took a snap. I ran for three yards and got hit, but I didn't fumble. But, um, no, all jokes aside, like, there's just something about Tom Brady. I don't think he's there. Mike Evans, dude, I'm trying to trade him in fantasy harder than I've ever traded his soul. He, that dude's just – he just – nothing just looks smooth with them. Like, there's the, – the connection with them does not look right. They need to bring back Fitzmagic. They really <laughs> want to go somewhere. Let him come back with the chains out. Let him come back, you know, have those stunner shades on. But – no, it, it, this is going to be – I think this is going to be an okay game. I don't think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be, you know, a 10-point differential either way. Um, but it was kind of weird seeing Gronk come back. So, you know, I want to see how he's going to build on that last game. You know, did that give him some confidence having that year off and everything? You know, Rojo looked good. They need to keep the ball in his hands. I mean, they need to let the offense run through him because Tom Brady isn't the lead cat anymore like that. You know, he's a game manager at this point, and he's not – the, he doesn't have the, the, the abilities that he has had before. It's just natural as we get older that things happen, you know, reflexes, those types of things. Um, but I think Rojo needs to be more involved in the offense. Um, Leonard Fournette's back, but what, you know, what, how are they going to use him? You know, I don't, I wouldn't take a lot of the confidence from Rojo because you got your younger potential future star running back in him. You don't want to take that away from him. I mean, he's in his what second or third season right now. So um, you know, a second, I think, but, um, 
you know, there's a lot of things, you know, Godwin's back, you know, they have pieces, they have those pieces they need, but just something about them just doesn't click. You watch them on the field and they just look uncomfortable. I don't know. It's like, the, it's like, um, it's like walking into a tender date and they don't look like the same picture that you found <laughs> and you don't know how to react because you don't want to be an asshole. So you just kind of sit down anyways and you order a water and an appetizer and then tell them that your dog's got to go out to the bathroom. So like, you know, it's kind of one of those things where they just don't look comfortable together and the Raiders do. So I'm going to take that side of it. You know, I could be wrong. Raiders could get blown out or whatever, but I'm going to take the side that has a lot going for them and a lot of team connectivity and just that, like that gel point together. Um, and, and, you know, they, they shocked the hell out of me and they shocked the hell out of the world when they beat the chiefs. So, I mean, I think that, you know, as long as they come out and do what they need to do and execute, don't have stupid mistakes, they're a penalty team too, you know, don't don't do stupid things to beat yourself and you know whichever Derek Carr shows up but you know Josh Jacobs is a baller you know they got good run young receivers uh, Darren Waller's back um you know I, I I'm going to take I'm going to take the Raiders but um I'm going to take them on on a smooth 31 to 23 nice nice now I'm glad you mentioned Fitzpatrick because this is your weekly reminder that Miami did Fitzpatrick dirty he deserves better so Jake moving on to you your thoughts on the Gruden revenge game Raider Nation was good. Y'all going to lose this week. I'll keep it real with you. I don't <laughs> care about the revenge factor for Chucky. That's all well and good. Uh, that is where maybe they come out and play a little harder. But the facts remain. Your right tackle, Trent Brown, has tested positive for COVID-19. The offensive linemen were all hanging around him without masks on and are all now on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. We'll see if they get cleared by game time Sunday afternoon. Jonathan Abram is also on that list. And if you got a reserve offensive line who you would be playing in the reserves in the second string for your preseason game, going up against a front seven who's given up 2.7 yards per carry, that's a recipe for disaster, especially if you got to deal with blocking JPP, who's still very effective even in his elder years, and the leading yeah. sack man from last year, Shaquille Barrett. Devin White and Levante David are playing like the best inside linebacker tandem in the NFL. They are freakishly good. The back end's playing much better than I expected them to. I thought their back end, the Buccaneers back end was trash. As oh, yeah, I thought out. they were doo-doo butter. <laughs> oh, it turns out they're actually halfway decent and are able to play with a really good front seven. But even losing Vita Vea, they gave up nothing to the Packers on the ground. Mind you, they've given up five rushing touchdowns this year, so – in a goal-to-go situation with a healthy offensive line, Josh Jacobs could eat from there. With that being said, if you got to hold on to the ball against that front and you don't have time, Derek Carr is going to revert back to that check down Charlie that he was a few for the past few years because he was scared to throw off of that leg. So all things considered, I like the Bucks to ruin the revenge factor for Chucky. I like them to win 27 to 10. Well, look at the offensive line, though, in the Raiders. If you can't beat them, make them sick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to keep that sentiment going because as much as everyone talks about Tampa Bay's offense, that defense has been playing surprisingly well with Raheem Morris there. And uh, more to the point – or not Raheem Morris. I'm sorry, Todd Bowles. Um, and it's funny, uh, the Jets have just traded Steve McClendon over to Tampa um, to make up for Vita Vea's injury. So it's almost as if they're not going to miss a beat. But, yeah, it, that Bucks defense, I believe, is going to be the deciding factor in this game because on the Raiders, Hunter Renfro and 
uh, Darren Waller and Henry Ruggs, if he's healthy, and Brian Edwards. I mean, those guys aren't going to make a lick of difference, quite honestly, if Derek Carr is feeling a little uncomfortable in that pocket. So, you know, we shall see. Now, we are getting low on time, so real quick, we're going to run down some other games that we're going to talk about next week on the Wednesday edition. We're going to touch on the Battle of Ohio. Uh, Browns and Bengals, Baker Mayfield, 4-1 all-time against Cincinnati. So we'll have those results and our reactions next week early on. Um, As well as Niners-Patriots, a game that's under the radar with the lack of Tom Brady because it is Jimmy Garoppolo's first game back in New England since being traded. So it's the ghost of New England past versus New England's present. More on that on Wednesday, assuming that game is not a stinker. And Although we didn't really care to talk about the Saints-Panthers game, it is interesting that it's Teddy Bridgewater's first game back against the team that saved his career. But more importantly, this is something we are definitely going to talk about next week, guys, on Wednesday. Uh, Michael Thomas, uh, the mercurial wide receiver who has been up and down this season, both due to injury and other non-football related reasons we'll talk Diva. more about <laughs> we will talk more about that wednesday and trying to get into the mind of a michael thomas the former mvp candidate from last season but in the meantime that's going to do it for us for today for the friday edition this has been episode three of zone 32 only on neutralzoneinfraction.com this is max Mikado. he's grant durflinger He's Jake Miller. We will catch you guys again next Wednesday for episode four of Zone 32. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties. Thanks for listening. And as always, have a great weekend. See ya! Max, Grant, Jake. Zone 32. Only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties.